Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Here we go. Welcome to New Cyber Frontier. I'm your host, Tim Montgomery. And on this edition of New Cyber Frontier, we have Patrick Clausen. Um, Patrick, we're going to let you introduce a little bit of yourself. Uh, I know we discussed some previous conversations, some of the things you uh, look at in growth, um, business con- uh, entrepreneur, and um you got six companies or had six companies, uh, been in the in the industry for a long time, and cybersecurity uh, is your um, you know, cup of tea, right? So your expertise in uh, the marketing field, and we're going to talk a little bit about API and uh, where it sits and what kind of uh, security uh, factors will apply to that. Uh, sounds like you've got a really hold, good hold on um, how those things are working. So um, how are you doing, Patrick? Good. How are you? I'm good. So, yeah, it's uh, more of a casual conversation a lot of times when we come to these podcasts. So it's kind of how I I take things. Um, So wouldn't mind introducing yourself a little bit about what you do and uh, how you fit into cybersecurity, uh, those types of things. Sure. Again, Patrick Lawson. I'm uh, currently chairman and CEO of an API security platform called Resurface Labs. I've been running cybersecurity companies for the last 21, 22 years. My first was a layer seven firewalling company called CyberGuard, well-known in banking and government and secure locations around the world. Um, Took that company over, it was a NASDAQ company. We had to turn it around and clean it up, but we're able to move it from a $11 million company to a $9 million market cap to a $300 million exit five years later. So we grew that from around 11 in revenue to around 70. my next one was a uh, venture-backed endpoint security company. So again, able to turn that one and get it growing. We grew in a completely different way, but we took it from around 12 million to 56 million in five or six years and sold that. Um, I then did, I worked with British private equity and we rolled up four companies and created the Blanco Technology Group and took that out on the AIM, which was really kind of the leader in data sanitization or data end of life. So a completely different vector. Um, then went into dark web monitoring with a company called Terbium Labs, which was venture backed out of the Boston area. Um, we're, we're able to turn that around and grow that company and sold it to Deloitte about a year, year and a half ago now. Um, and then uh, now I'm enjoying and running Resurface Labs, which is a completely different aspect of security and a, a newer one called API security. Yeah, API security, yeah. That- we know that most things have gone to apps and a lot of the projects that I seem to be on, we constantly are doing the agile projects to use the applications in the cloud to produce um, interfaces and uh, database uh, centric type of uh, applications uh, for research and development. Um, so, I mean, the marketplace is, it's got, uh, I mean, it's just trending pretty fast. So in security though, Oftentimes we look at what gaping holes that are possible in an API. I'm sure you've got your slew of elements that uh, you guys define 
to make sure you're uh, doing your best practices. What kind of, um, I mean, what kind of factors do you guys run into uh, in an ATI process? Um, so what kind of tr traction do we run into or? Yeah, so in your software development processes, when you create your, um, you know, API methods for developing something with an API uh, module. So here's what you should think about APIs in general. Back in around 2018, the different analyst groups started talking about the lack of security uh, within APIs as APIs were starting to explode. Um, and some of the third-party numbers, I think it was two years ago, Akamai said that 83% of all web traffic as at that point went through APIs. Um, there was a similar Gartner statement last year that said only 11% of companies have done anything about securing them at this stage. They also had a couple other quotes. I think in 2021, they said that malicious traffic dwarfed legitimate API traffic um, for 21. In 22, they said it was the number one attack vector. But still, businesses have not really done much to protect them. And the current technology platforms, whether XDRs or SOARs, don't really have visibility of what's going on inside those APIs. So companies like mine are born to provide exposure to really three major categories of risk. Um, the first would be the OWASP top 10 for APIs. We need to make sure that we're compliant and not violating any of that. The second would be any of the known attack types taking place within APIs today, whether they're BOLA attacks or you name it. Um, and then the third is what NIST regards as future attack surface. So they're more like anomalies, whether you have slow performing APIs, you've got bad code. So it's an observability. So you're protecting against the future, even though it may not be an act active attack today, active attacks, and then anything that's outside or within the OWASH, the OWASH uh, API top 10. Awesome, awesome. We're gonna take a break right now, Patrick, and, uh, and uh, listen to commercial from uh, our sponsors. So we'll be right back with Patrick Carlson. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer -peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Okay, we're back. Some Cyber Fronts here. I'm your host, Tim Montgomery. And today we're talking with Patrick Carlson. Uh, gave us a little definition of uh, his, his current company a, with the API modules um, and the attack vectors and uh, the statistics showing that only 11 or 12% are actually being covered. So this is one of the major factors in uh, cybersecurity today um, for issues, risks. And so, um, and I'm guessing, we'll get into a couple of questions with you about business and how businesses can launch for that type of stuff. Um, but I can see where, I can see where there, there should be marketplace for such a thing, um, because it, it's a whole, right? In cybersecurity, API is not being looked at and they're using it more and more 
uh, with development of applications and just the agile method that uh, comes out of that. So, I mean, your company's, when did this company start? When did you start this one? Uh, the six you've got? It was founded by um, uh, our CTO, Rob Dickinson, back in 2019. Oh, okay. Okay, so you guys have been around quite a long time. And is this the only thing uh, API-wise or in cybersecurity-wise that you guys cover for uh, this type of company? Yeah, look, um, Resurface Labs is a pure API security play. Um, we, we address the market a little bit differently than others do. Um, we approach it as a first party only solution. And what that means is we stand up in the client's cloud environment. So we're cloud platform agnostic, but their data never leaves their own trusted environment. Competition seems to think that you're all right sending that data to a third party platform, a third party AWS SaaS platform. We do not. And a couple of things we do differently because of that. We're able to see all of their API traffic all of the requests and response data sets in totality, in runtime, unencrypted and unredacted. And we can only do that because it's in their environment. So we can provide runtime and API security based on the totality of their traffic, not redacted traffic that's sent later to a third party platform. But it also allows us to do something pretty cool. We can take that, that data that we're seeing and we can create a data lake of the last 30 days so when we have a new zero day attack that pops up, we're able to query our database very quickly and it'll let you know if you've been impacted at all. And if so, which APIs and sometimes down to the line of the code. So you can plan your remediation. It's not a mystery. Nobody else can do that because no one's going to let you store that sensitive data in a third party environment. So kind of belligerent about our approach. We're a little bit different, um, but it is incredibly powerful. No, it sounds that way. It sounds exactly what uh, most companies would prescribe to when it comes to being able to do their DevOps uh, operations, uh, especially in this day and age, because I think most of us deal with so many apps now in the interface of cloud and uh, like Salesforce, maybe AWS's portions or uh, ServiceNow and those types of uh, platforms now. Uh, most of the uh, Most of our work is moving into or transitioning into the cloud. There were statistics, I think, last year that came out that talked about by 2025, the majority of uh, information will actually, or at least potentially 50 to 60% of it will be in the cloud. So this is directly in the path of, uh, you know, moving into those centric management pieces and then being able to promote it through the API interfaces. The, so, the, the move to 5G within the telcos is all API, right? Yeah. Those guys are great networking guys, but you saw what happened over at T-Mobile, right? They had a huge attack. It was API oriented. They're not necessarily application layer folks. They're going to need to be because that's, that's where the APIs are, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I could see where, and in, 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 it was like when uh internet of things came out and uh, potentially they weren't trying to safeguard any of those items. Um, you know, the, the it was always the story of uh, LG refrigerators attacking Oracle um, Exchange and things like that. So um, just the, uh, it, it's come a long ways. And usually the autonomy of the car also having aspects of those algorithms and use of, uh, you know, separate devices like that in uh, environments. So I, I could see where this is a massive contributing factor for support of uh, cybersecurity in the field. And um, believe that, yeah, yeah, this is a need. There's a mass need to it. It's integral to understanding your company actually well 
be able to at least give you backlog in the last 30 days. So you can analyze that type of information and produce, uh, you know, a method or a plan to circumvent or, um, you know, the vulnerability and the risk assessment to lower its possibilities. Usually the turnaround processes when you gain those logs, algorithms, things like that. What, um, I mean, is there a tool out there? I guess this is what you guys provide as far as tools that will actually analyze that stuff and produce or services that will produce such a thing. Can you uh, elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, I mean, that's what we do out of the box, right? So we yeah. we build rules and those rules help us query that traffic in runtime so that we understand any of those things we're looking for. The rules are, you know, based on help us identify a certain, you know, certain types of attacks that are happening. Um, they help us understand, you know, anything that's outside of that OWASP top 10, for example. And then there are custom rules as well that the clients can build, you know, kind of in a no-code environment. Um, there's no real freeware solution that does any of this out there yet. You know, we're obviously considering that, that concept because we think people need to start thinking about it much more seriously than they are. Uh, but yeah. What's it's interesting to understand um, <clears throat> the impacts to a company when when a breach happens, and I bring this up a lot um, when conversations with my own counterparts that uh, I think businesses oftentimes do not see cybersecurity as an emphasis or it's an over elaboration of what's really happening sometimes. So, and then I realize it comes down to cost, uh, efficiencies and cost. Um, you know, the goal of a business is to uh, create money, not use it up as fast as possible. So the demo facts of uh, how businesses work, I mean, what would you say that cybersecurity, at least business-wise, what, what would be some of the context in which uh, promoting growth in business for cybersecurity? I mean, this is just one aspect, API and your business currently, but you've had other businesses before, so... I mean, what's one of the most important things you would say about building a business from a cybersecurity perspective as a cybersecurity business? Yeah, so I've got, I usually come in when when growth has been a, a problem, whether regardless of the stage. And I use a process that has worked well for me over the years. And it's it's four things I do right out of the gate. And they help me and, and the team get a handle on what we have and then understanding what we don't have, which is also very critical in terms of creating a sales motion that you can be successful with. So what you don't have is equally important um, in that conversation. So usually what I start to do is I, I reach out to financial analysts that I may have worked with who yeah. have an opinion on the space and get their view on what's working, what's not, where it should be going. Is it an industry? Is it an idea? And then I reach out to... Um, the industry analysts, you know, guys that are different consulting firms that may have a view on it as well. Um, and, and often they're aligned, but sometimes they have massively divergent views. Um, the third thing that I like to do is I try to go through an intensive um, competitive research. So everybody around the world, whether they're big or small, I could care less. I want to know what the verticals are that they think they're talking to, right? What use cases are they trying to talk to? What is their pricing model? Does it make sense? Is it overly complicated? I want to know what their sales motion is. Are they working with channels? Are they working with partners? Are they working with a, a complete direct sales model? I want to know what they think, what their stated value propositions are. And then the last piece I like 
if they're grabbing third-party quotes, like they're quoting a Gartner or a Forrester or a Frost and Sullivan or whatever, mm-hmm. I want to know what what they're what they're focused on, right? What they think is the the salient point. And then my fourth step is, once I have that, I'm building out uh, our ideal customer profiles. I am building out our pricing strategy. I am building out our competitive advantages, our verticals, and our use cases. Um, And then I'm creating a a survey and I reach out to our buyer types around the world and I try to make it statistically relevant. So I want like north of 150, somewhere close to 200 respondents from my buyers that help bring all that data together. Who is the right buyer? Is, does somebody own it? Is there price sensitivity around it? You know, where is it on their buying? Is their executive team aware that this is potentially an issue? Right. And, and then I bring all of that together. And then part of what I w- try to get done now is, all right, man, what is our what is our target? Who are we going after? What's our price point that makes the most sense for us to do this? And how do we stand up a revenue generating engine knowing what we know now? Yeah. Go make that happen, right? So that's kind of my process. Well, that's awesome. I'd like to pick your brain though. <laughs> it's, it's interesting fun. to understand how that process works because I think I, I'm naive in some of those arenas. Um, and I'd like to learn more about that myself. Um, because I just myself just starting up a business in the last year or two and not quite sure what to do with it. So trying to kind of feed into it gradually, you know, pivot towards it more or less on working for somebody else, more into an entrepreneurship type profile. So yeah. I'm curious about some of those things myself. Um, it sounds like you've got a real good grasp on, you know, potentially how to grow a business uh, significantly. Is there anything, um, I mean, outside of cybersecurity businesses, do you think there's a, there's a difference between cybersecurity businesses and other businesses? And if so, look, the fundamentals are the same. I think you handle things differently in advantage of software businesses. We have very high gross margins. So if you manage your costs, well, you can create a a very profitable business, which is different than a manufacturing or a distribution where your margins are much, much smaller. You've got greater margin for error. Um, But I think across the board, um, it doesn't really matter what type of software you're selling. And I came from healthcare and I've been in other technologies along the way as a board member or an investor or something like that. It's the business fundamentals are what founders often get, get stuck in. They have a belief in their mind and they want to make that happen and they keep driving towards it. And they fail to see we need a starting point, right? So what is our our MVP, right? Our, you know, our what's that that place where we say, yes, we have something we can sell. Mm-hmm. Let's get that in the market and then we build from there. And often people spend their money and they never actually get that MVP in users' hands. So it's it's just a you know, those business fundamentals, I think, are the same. Um, I think bigger companies start to forget the importance of measure, measure, measure mm-hmm. um, because it becomes hard. Uh, but I also think the small guys don't know how to do their, they're not sure. They have a great idea, but they don't know how to make sure that they're making traction. Right. Yeah, that's, With, that's the thing where I, I fall into a lot of, because I'm just not business oriented per se when it comes to that. Like I'm an expert in cybersecurity per se, but not necessarily how to run a business. So I got to learn some of that stuff too, right? So yeah. as we go along, I'm, I, I, I explore things, look into stuff. It's a gradual thing for me. So I guess I'll put more emphasis as the older I get because my children are finally gone out of the house and that changes up what my priorities are. So that type yeah. of stuff. Right. Yeah, sure does. Yeah. So, and so there's no, I mean, in the company today you have, um, you, would you say that, um, I mean, is it, 
I guess the way the market is, is it significantly different from the last two companies you've had in the way you trend? No, but each one, as they grow, adopts a slightly different revenue generating model. Like you might, you might move to the channel here in North America, depending on how attractive or how, what the uptake is. Yeah. Uh, or you might stick with a direct sales model. Um, and one of the things that COVID has helped, I and mean, the company Lou mentioned, when we were running that. We 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 perfected the inside sales motion to the point where we could have inside salespeople handling transactions of about a hundred thousand dollars a year in subscription without having the cost of an outside salesperson with all the travel. So that that changed that dynamic and it made that that process much more profitable. And I think COVID has helped that along because you couldn't travel. So people needed to do business. They adopted the concepts of Zoom or whatever your video, you know, platform of press, uh, preference was. Yeah. But you're, right. You're able to communicate and sell technology, deliver it so that they can pilot it and prove it out, right? All without being on site. So that direct model is lower cost than it was five years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's an opportunity to do that. So you, you, you build your business. Normally, internationally, what we found is two tier distribution is work best. International partners do a better job of taking your product, focusing on it, building a market for it. Uh, we find that the U.S. partners already want you to have done that for them and be providing them with warm leads. So it's a slightly different scenario. But we often see a good solid two-tier distribution model for EMEA and uh, and the APAC. Okay. Yeah. So, okay, Patrick, we're going to have to take a break here. So, um, and uh, we'll be right back after this uh, commercial break. All right. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Okay, welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. I'm your host, Tim Montgomery. I'm talking today with a business owner, entrepreneur, uh, cybersecurity uh, specialist and expertise API, uh, professional, all the above, right, Patrick? Patrick Cole? And all the above. All the <laughs> We were talking a little bit before the break there about uh, businesses, um, just the prospects of blending businesses and the uptick in, um, I guess, how COVID actually impacted the sales processes. Um, and did you see that in, in the uh, European uh, nations, too, as far as um, oh, yeah. doing things different like that? You had to survive, right? And yeah. uh, we saw deals. We were doing half million dollar, sub, you know, subscription transactions, and that was happening all over Zoom or you pick your, like I said, your your cloud video platform. But they were all happening remotely because you couldn't travel, but you needed to survive as companies. And companies needed the technology that we had in order to be safe. So you found a way, and it worked. And I do think like people going in the office today, I, I firmly believe that 
the whole COVID period drove a modification in sales process, marketing, sales motion, um, and customer engagement in general, which I think is helpful. Yeah, I I think we turned it into because I stayed home, you know, for two and a half years. We, I think today even the government only goes back one day or two days a week. They're trying to move towards more three or four days a week. But uh, as far as government uh, civilian uh, employees and things like that, um, I, I think I go on Monday mornings, which to me, I, I do more work at home. Uh, I think more prosperous. I'm more productive. I don't have to worry about the weather. I don't have to worry about, I mean, just lots of stuff that says that, that I am a, a more productive person. So I think, I think that falls in line with a lot of individuals when it comes to sales. Did you have to adapt any of your processes during that process time for oh, yeah. the install? Oh, and, a lot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so almost every aspect of, of the physical customer engagement had to change. So you had to force your product to be much more intuitive, right. improve your tech docs and your access to tech docs and knowledge bases. Um, and yeah, I, I think much of that changed. I think you have to look at it as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm probably the, a little bit opposite. I agree. I get a lot of work done at home. I do. I don't think everybody is capable of that. Right. I think so. Yeah. But I think when you look five, 10 years down the road, I think you're going to see a blip in our innovation cycle because people not able to, to riff on each other when you're trying to innovate and create next generation products or the right. next thing yeah, when you're not together, you lose a little bit of that over, over your video conference, right? So I, I think you're going to see an impact, an innovation impact that's a result of, of that whole COVID period. And I I think I like my brightest minds getting together and yelling at each other and challenging each other and right. Coming up with new ideas. And I don't see that stuff happening on a, on a video. No, you're right. I think there's something about being physically located in one place inside of a room. I know when we do uh, in our consulting business, when we do proposal work, that's the best thing to do is kind of put your head down together and, and work through uh, writing the material, getting it out there so it can be proved and edited Totally. And but it doesn't it happen well on a video, right? Yeah. And, and champion that. You're right. It does not. I mean, there's something to be said about a blackboard with the dry eraser markers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, those yeah, totally. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's uh, definitely something where you can focus on it and every other person in the room with you focuses. So there's a difference there. I do know that everyday work, though, it seems like, um, you know, like the, um, I would call it scuttlebutt, right? Uh, we're on the water fountain, the gossip and chatter and things in the office that has a tendency to, to uh, take away from productivity in the workplace. So I think it did support helping training us away from things like that, even though I'm sure lots of things at home take our uh, attention, you know, and uh, especially if you've got things moving at home, but it did allow, at least allowed me to, um, to really pick things up because I found that I actually multitasked. Uh, I don't know if you could call multitask even a word, but, um, I think that it helped me a lot being able to do those things. So, and, and then it, it just made me more productive. Plus you can get to me. Uh, I know there's a time frame in which business hours are conducted, but uh, oftentimes because I didn't have to drive home and reset up that um, yeah, like six o'clock night, if you needed something to click on or I needed to review something right quick, oftentimes I was there for that. So yeah, it certainly has changed business in the way business has been conducted. And you're probably right. 
the the uh, innovation probably will have uh, history will show that innovation has dipped a little bit on it because of the inability to kind of like you said ripped it out. So, what's well, interesting concepts in um, I know businesses and and we usually don't get a lot of time to, to talk with one uh, on these interviews, but uh, we're about down to the end of it. Um, so. In summary, uh, I would say cybersecurity businesses, they're prospering today pretty good. There's a, a lot of market out there for all kinds of things, including the software security uh, uh, aspect of it, the stat side of it. Is there any other parts uh, you would say that uh, cybersecurity probably needs to dive into, I mean, as far as businesses that are are lacking out there? <clears throat> Look, it's a the, the great thing about cybersecurity, and you know, my career is probably an example of that. I think part of the elevation today, more cloud-based security platform platforms, um, to kind of leveraging what you said, right? You've got, um, uh, you know, all of the you know the the new CNAP type stuff that's coming out, the mm -hmm. CIEM, the CSPM, the SSPM solutions. Uh, you know, cloud security postures, you know, SaaS security posture management, all that I think is starting to come together. And I think companies, A, it's exploding, so they have to deal with it. And they, they're they not going to want nine tools to do that. So I think you'll see a bit of a convergence in that sector. Mm -hmm. well, I think the API stuff butts up against it reasonably well also. Um, so, yeah, I think this cloud and application security is a big part of the future that businesses need to pay attention to. And you think about the explosion of apps within a business, A, ones that the business needs and uses and supports, but B, the ones that their employees put on their devices, right? That's opening veins in your leg, right? And you need to find a way to manage that and to an acceptable level of risk. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, in our conversation, we were talking about market uh, business, how to build businesses. And uh, you, you really got a good uh, understanding there. That's for sure. I, I'm going to pick your brain a little more. If you don't mind, call you again somewhere in the, in the middle. Yeah, you got it, man. Always happy. I love doing this stuff. Yeah. It sounds like you got a real passion for it. So it sounds like, yeah, in the markets, it's, it's turning pretty good. So uh, in other words, business will take off because those are, there's a, customer set for it so um so it was great talking to you patrick um yeah and what was the name of the company again we are resurface labs based out of boulder colorado boulder colorado great place um and you guys do api security right right okay well okay well that's it for us the new cyber frontier like i said i, I was Grateful that uh, you were able to come on and uh, speak with us today about uh, you know, business, business growth, and cybersecurity in general. Uh, it's always a pleasure speaking to other people in our fields and skills. Um, always a good conversation, seems like we have. Um, so I'm your host, Tim Montgomery, um, and my guest, uh, Patrick uh, Clausen here. Um, and uh, I guess that's it for us today. Um, hope everybody enjoys podcast. Thank you. Have a good day. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of New Cyber Frontier. Remember to get involved. Often we think that someone else will handle privacy and security in the virtual world, but you are the only one truly in command of your virtual fate. Join our mailing list so we can keep you informed of breaking news and new releases. If you have an idea, if you have a question that you would like to hear answered, or if you want to get involved with our efforts, reach out to us at newcyberfrontier.com. 
We also encourage you to visit our sponsors' links as they are the ones that really make this show possible. I want to thank each of you for supporting the show, and we look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of New Cyber Frontier.